0: I want you guys to know, as we've been studying in 2 Timothy, uh, the relationship that Paul has to 2 Timothy, that, that whole letter has been from an older pastor who... Um, who is who is ahead of this younger pastor and charging this younger pastor to follow in my footsteps and I want you to know with Glenn I have actually literally followed in glenn 's footsteps. We were on staff for about eight to ten years together uh, before this church was planted. He is the one of the pastors there at Valley Church that helped get this started almost sixteen years ago now, and he was my uh, my favorite. I can say it now because I'm not, like, trying to get a good grade. He was, he was my favorite professor at San Jose Christian College. And, uh, and when Glenn invited me to come and do ministry with him, I thought, man, I'd have to be crazy not to not to jump in with this guy. But we were on a speaking trip with a guy, a missionary of ours, who grew up in China. And he brought us back to China, some rural parts of China. And we got to do this trip together with a few of the elders and uh one of the images a few weeks ago was of stair um, stairs and Paul is saying this follow my faith follow my perseverance p- follow my lifestyle follow my love uh follow my persecutions and its steps remember that well i literally followed in glenn's footsteps as we climbed the great wall of china and uh this guy can go this guy can go for long periods of time even though he's older than any of uh, than me uh, <laughs> I was having troubles keeping up, but I was determined to follow in his footsteps up the great wall. So I want you to give a warm welcome to Glenn. Glenn, come on up and uh, preach the word to us, brother.
1: All right. Now, I don't know if it has such a long introduction as that, but... Uh... <laughs> oh, and kids, you're dismissed. Sorry. Oh, kids. All right. Well, it's a joy for me to be here and... Uh... You know what uh, kind of friendship Dave and I have? It's a friendship of love. I, uh, I know that he likes me, but I know he also really loves me. And uh, I hope you know that, that there is someone by the name of Jesus who has a very, very fond affection for each one of you here. He knit you together in your mother's womb exactly the way he wanted to. You may not like it always when you look in the mirror, but just remember, beauty is always in the eyes of the beholder, and uh, he sees us, especially if you put your faith and trust, he sees us in Christ, the safest place in all the world. I want you to turn your Bible, if you would, to the sixth chapter of the book of John, we've been studying this uh, book, well, I guess, probably since about the first of June or so. We've entitled this series that we're doing at Valley Church. Uh, it's called Believe. Uh, the word belief is mentioned, I think, 95 times in the Gospel of John. You will not find the word faith mentioned once, of course, although believe is a synonym of, of faith. It's, it's trust. And I hope today that you have put your faith and trust in the only one who is absolutely trustworthy. And uh, the writer to this letter, John, on two different occasions says that I am the disciple whom Jesus loved.
2: You know why Jesus loves me? Because he's the friend of
1: sinners. <laughs> there are no water walkers, as we're going to read, to save Jesus. There's only one. And um, I want us to see him this morning. I have a sister. She's 10 years older than I am. I just hit the final age of 79. She's going to be 89 come uh, November. And uh, she lives in Florida. So obviously, not too long ago, they were hit with uh, some winds. The highest, I think, was about 140 miles an hour, something like that. Uh, That's called the little storm. And we're going to be looking at this little text that we have here in the Gospel of John. But let me ask you this this morning, Um,
2: if this advances...
1: Help, Dave. Oh, there it is. So here, here's the question. You have an outline there as well, right? We do. Okay. So tell me. Uh, well, you don't have to shout it out loud. But what is your greatest fear? Because these disciples we're going to see were very fearful. Struggle? Battle that you're facing? Temptation, perhaps, that seems to overwhelm you that you can't quite cope with? Obstacle, problem, dilemma. Now you all look nice. You, you don't look like you'd have any secrets. <laughs> yeah, but we all do, don't we? And maybe your storm has actually. Uh,
2: <laughs> Let me huh?
1: <clears throat> you got to resync that thing. Huh? All, all right. Yeah. Just hit the hit the next uh, hit the next one there. Uh, Oh, back up. Yeah. So maybe, maybe your storm has made landfall. So I was particularly interested because I have friends in various places in Florida and, and my sister and husband is, as well. And uh, maybe that's happened to you. And uh, which, here's the next little slide that you'll see, which of these best describe your life? Your marriage, your family? As you are hopefully following Jesus day by day. Uh, So there's two little pictures here. This is a nice house before Ian happened to slam its way through Florida. Uh, This is a little picture, just one of thousands of pictures that you could have seen on the internet after uh, the storm hit. How does it describe your life, your marriage, your job, how things are going uh, for you. And uh, if your, your storm, if you could figure from, you know, there's different categories one, two, three, four, five. Ian was a, a five. It hit pretty hard. There was a lot of devastation and so forth of, of life that, that's, th- that's there. And so we find ourselves here in this sixth chapter of John where Jesus is going to take his disciples into uh, a storm. Now, follow along with me now as I read beginning verse 15. It says, So Jesus perceiving perceiving that they were intending to come and take him by force, they wanted to make Jesus uh, king. Thanks, Dave. And Jesus would have nothing to do with it. He withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. Uh, The other... Places where this story is mentioned, Jesus walking in the water, he goes up there to pray, but, but John doesn't. You, I don't think you find the word prayer or pray mentioned in the gospel of John. Jesus prayed in the garden, but, but, but that's it. And when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, and after getting into a boat, they started to cross the sea to Capernaum. That was Jesus' kind of uh, place where he did all his ministry from. It had already become dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea began to be stirred up because a strong wind was blowing. Then when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near to the boat, and they were frightened. You would have been too. And he said to them, it is I. Do not be afraid. So they were willing to receive him into the boat, and immediately the boat was on the land to which they were going. As we're going to see in just a moment, your reading here that you have um, just says that they got into the boat. But it actually says in, in the Gospel of Matthew that Jesus compelled them to get into the boat. In other words, he made them get into the boat. He drafted his disciples. Uh, He spent a whole night in prayer before he called these guys, and he began now to train them. As soon as they wanted to come and make Jesus king... He began to spend more and more time with his disciples because they are going to carry on the message of the gospel. They are going to bring in the kingdom of God at the day of Pentecost. And so he begins to to spend more and more and more time with his disciples, preparing them for for what's coming. And the same is true in your life and my life. Maybe Jesus drafted us into his school of discipleship. And as I mentioned before, this is the way that Matthew puts it. Immediately afterward, he compelled the disciples to get into the boat and to go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the crowd away. In other words, this is a pre-planned storm. And when you go through things in your life, sometimes you think, ah, they're just, uh, they're, they're, they just happen, these storms. They just come along. Storms are, are not random. You need storms in your life. James puts it this way. He says, would you consider it, please, all joy when you encounter various trials? They come in all shapes and sizes, and you don't know when they're going to hit. So consider it all, Joe, and kind various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith and my faith, it brings something into our life. It builds endurance into your life. And we're to let endurance have its perfect work so that we may be complete, lacking in nothing. If I asked you, wouldn't you like to be complete, lacking in nothing, you'd shake your head, Yeah you like the process? That's the process that we find ourselves in. Storms are not random, and they're not trivial. David says in Psalm 119, I think he, four times in that psalm, he uses the word affliction. He said, it was good that I was afflicted, so that I may learn your ways, Yahweh. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. I started wandering here and there. Now, however, I, I keep your word. So, now storms are not random. They are not trivial in your life. And by the way, they're not optional. You can't opt out of these If you and I would just stay with Jesus in the midst of the storm, there are lessons that he wants to teach you and me about who he is. He's going to say, or he said, it is I. The most important thing he wants to teach you is his own person. What is God like? Does he have any interest in you and interest in me? So they're not optional. Romans chapter 5 tells us, that the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. And they're, they're purposeful. Job, who experienced perhaps some of the worst trials that one could experience in life, lost all of his children, lost all of his houses, lost all of his camels, lost everything else. And he says, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And he says, once he has tried me or tested me, I will come forth as gold. You do not get gold without it being tested and tried and refined by fire. You see, God has purposes in all these trials. And he is the orchestrator of storms. So you want someone who just gives you perhaps what you want. No, no. He gives you what you and I need in our life. And one of the things we're going to see in just a moment that he's trying to do in your life and my life is to bring us to the end of ourselves. See, Glenn's tendency is to trust in Glenn. Your tendency is to trust in yourself And God is trying to bring us to the end of ourselves so that we may know who He is. You see, maybe absolute surrender is our master's game plan, end game. I started teaching and coaching basketball here in the east side of San Jose in 1966. And I taught there for eight years, and then I was also the head coach and teacher the first four years Santa Teresa High School was open. I always had a game plan. didn't always work. And then I coached at San Jose Christian College, where Dave, as he said, went there, for nine years. I always had a a game plan. That's what you do. And you prepare your players for the games, the kind of competition that you're going to be, be facing. Now, in Matthew, or Matthew's gospel, there's another uh, type of storm that Jesus took through. We just read one where he walks on the water, but there's another one where he got into the boat with them, and as they started to cross the, the, the sea, another storm came up. This is what it says. Would you read this out loud with me? Can you do that? When Jesus to the boat... His disciples followed him, and behold, a violent storm developed on the sea, so that the boat was being covered by the waves. But Jesus himself was asleep, and they came to him and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. I'm sure it wasn't, psst, psst, Save us, Lord, we're, we're perishing. I'm sure it was Peter. Hey! Hey! Save us, we're, we're perishing, we're dying right here. I mean, you know, it's one thing. I, I, I grew up in Minnesota, 10,000 lakes. Actually, they have 12,000 some, but I love to fish. You know, it's fine for a boat to be in the water, but when water gets in a boat, no, that's another story. And uh, as we live our lives, sometimes the water gets in, in the boat and we think we're about to drown, and they're serious here. We are perishing. The word perish means to suffer a violent death. And as I mentioned before, God in his mercy and in his grace and in his sovereignty puts these trials into your life and my life to bring us to the end of ourselves. And so Paul says in 2 Corinthians, in this little passage, I'm not going to read it all or recite it all for you, but he says, we had the sentence of death within ourselves. Now here's the purpose clause. So that we should no longer trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. And you remember, Paul was stoned. He was left for dead. Maybe he was dead and God raised him up. We, we don't know. That's, that's only speculation. Now, little babies look nice. I've traveled in 50-some countries in the world, and I love little babies. We have 2,000 orphans in our ministry, Hands of Hope, in the country of uh, Zimbabwe. And you know these little ones, when they're, they're born, <clears throat> uh, we, we might say, His Majesty the King. W- w- what little children start to do early on is they begin to establish their little kingdom. Have you noticed that, huh? When they cry, they get what they want. When, when they're uncomfortable, something happens. You know, they, they began to establish their, their little kingdom there. And fortunately enough, they have, uh, under most circumstances, a mother who is there who meets every single one of those needs. But when little king starts to grow up and mature a little bit, uh, one of the things that God does in his sovereignty is to give them a father as well. And a uh, father comes in and maybe he's a little bit more demanding and uh, as they go through the terrible ones and twos and threes and fours and five. No, uh, <laughs> there, are, there are some rules and some procedures and some guidelines and some standards that are laid down in the household. And uh, this little king now finds that, uh, that, that that upsets him a little bit. And then, of course, God may provide a sister that takes away his toys and, and maybe a brother that beats on him a little bit. And uh, then there's the doctor who starts poking around in him, and he doesn't like that too much either. And uh, then, of course, there are grandparents. And they come along, and they spoil this poor little baby again and then the mom and dad have to start all over again but uh isn't this what it's like for you and me i have a book on my shelf in in uh at valley church called the kingdom of self and we're born into this world that's what we tend to do we think about me myself And I, and certainly have to, I mean, it's self-preservation, right? But we begin, everything begins to revolve around us, and we want our own way, and we become very egocentric. By the way, this is why we need a Savior, to save us from ourselves, to save us from sin, to save us from Satan, to save us from this evil world in which we, we live in. And then as we go through life, like I shared, we begin to ask questions. Why me? Why now? Why this? And God in his mercy, as Dave read from the beginning in Ephesians chapter uh, 2 today, friends, we were all dead in our trespasses and sins. Every one of us here. We were walking according to the course of this world, of the prince of the power of the air. And by nature, we were children of wrath. And then there's the but. But God, being rich in mercy, the great love with which he loved us, even when we're dead, he made us alive together with Christ, for by grace we have been saved, past tense. And now we're trophies of his grace and he's going to put us on display throughout all of eternity and when he comes in into our life he wants all of us all of our heart not a portion of it as Paul says I've been crucified it's no longer I who live it's Christ now we have Christ's life within us he's given you everything you need to life and godliness and his love has been poured out within your hearts. You know that that marriage is the perfect spot for this because in marriage it 's you know, the two become one, and they live happily ever after, never any issues, never any problems, no conflicts i don 't know what world you 're living in, but Patty and I just hit fifty eight years and uh, Our last conflict, was it yesterday or this morning? Uh, No, no. But look, it's the perfect place to practice Calvary love. This love that's been shed abroad in our hearts. The lover lives inside of us. And so we become not just egocentric. When Christ comes in, we become theocentric. And he comes to take over not just a little addition to your life and my life. He comes to take, take over. So, maybe Jesus is who he says he is. He says, it is I. And when he says, it is I right there, he's claiming to be the one from Genesis chapter, or uh, Exodus chapter 3, when God says, um, Moses asked, hey, who shall I say sent me when I go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go? And he says, say, I am has sent me. And that's why you find all these I am statements in the gospel of John. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's who he is. And so he wants in your life and my life to be who he says he is. And so he says, it is I, do not be afraid. So notice now, they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was where it was supposed to be. And if you put him at the center of your life, you will always be in the will of God. And he will direct and he will guide your life. It's not going to always be smooth waters. There's going to be turbulent ones as we just went through. But throughout this gospel, he, he shares <clears throat> only f- seven signs. Three of them have to do with creation, his power over creation. He feeds the 5,000, he walks on the water, he turns the water into wine. And then there are three that have to do with healings. And then there's one where he raises Lazarus from the dead. So he proves that he's the, the God of the Old Testament. I am who I am. He's the one who, who heals as he healed the as He heals this man 38 years in his sickness in, in John chapter 5. He reveals himself as Jehovah Jireh, the one who provides as, as uh, Abraham is getting ready to thrust the knife into his son. And he says, stop. And there was a ram that was caught there. And so he's the one who provides. And he provided for 5,000 men plus women and children when they were hungry at the beginning of John chapter 6. Showed himself as Jehovah El Roy, the God who sees as Hagar is out in the wilderness with Ishmael about to die. And she sees a well. The God who sees. And he sees all that you are going through in, in life. Yesterday, I did a graveside for a good friend of, uh, that Dave and Becky know as well, Dave Waters. His wife Lynn's 59. She died of cancer. She had a nine-year uh, battle with it. I'd seen her in her house with Patty a few weeks before I went to the hospital at Stanford. I could not recognize her if there was a dozen people there. She had deteriorated that much. I couldn't even recognize her face. But she fought till the very, very end. And I don't know that I've ever been at a graveside where I heard so many nice things said about a person who suffered and suffered and suffered without a complaint to the T of all the people that were, that were there. Friends, he's the deliverer from all the fears that you have, and you have some. I was getting a shot, a shingle shot on, on Monday, and I went in and this uh, gal named Lori, this nurse says, hey, uh, Mr. Miller, uh, your shingle shot that you had way back, it, it, it no longer protects you. I said, you know what? I, I don't need any protection. <laughs> I, I know where I'm going when I take my last breath. And a few minutes later, she says, you know what? Mr. Miller, my dad doesn't. He's afraid to die. He thinks he's committed too many sins. So I have an opportunity to share. I went to my car, I got a couple of CDs, I got a couple of pamphlets that answers the basic questions in life, and two times in my conversation with her she says, "Mr. Miller, this was not an accident your appointment here today." And I says, You're spot on. There aren't any accidents. There are appointments that God has for you and for me. He's the one who delivers us from all of our fears. And friends, it's because of the goodness
2: of God. We're going to
1: take a, not a, a break, well, maybe a little break from the message And Rob and Dave are going to lead us in a... I did this a cappella when I was at Valley uh, on the goodness of God, but we're going to sing it. I want you to focus on these words that you're going to see. Why do we love him? Because of his goodness, because of his kindness, because of his faithfulness uh, to you and to me.
2: Do you you know him as a father?
1: Do you know him as a friend? He's going to tell us later on in John chapter 15, I no longer call you slaves. A slave doesn't know what his master's doing. But I call you friends. For everything I heard from my father... I have made known to you. Do you realize that God wants you to, to know him in a personal way, as a father, as a friend? He wants to take over and to rule in your life and in my life. You see, just maybe God's power and character is displayed in our weaknesses. My wife and I at 5.30 this morning had our devotions together. We always read a chapter in the Bible every single day. Today it was Psalm 107. We read two devotionals and and then we pray. And my wife's devotional that she read had to do with our weakness. Where in the world do you see weakness as something great and good? Nowhere.
2: But in here. For power
1: is perfected in weakness. And so therefore, Paul says, that's why I'll boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may be manifested or exalted. You don't see our politicians talking about their weaknesses. You see them talking about who they are and what they can do and what they've promised. and no. Powers perfected in weakness. And when it looked like Jesus was at his weakest, he was dying for your sins and my sins. And listen, friends, he was disarming powers and rulers and authorities on the cross having triumphed over them to set us free so that we can walk with him with our little dinky hands in his strong ones in the storms of of life. Now it tells us in John chapter or Matthew chapter fourteen. I'm not going to read all of this. They they cry out in this storm and they say, "Lord, save me!" And immediately they reach the land. And it tells us then. Notice the words that are underlined. The last two in there. They worshipped him. That's the bottom line.
2: In John chapter 4, the
1: Father, our Heavenly Father, is seeking something, seeking someone, seeking people. He's seeking worshipers, not just churchgoers. No, He's seeking those who really put their faith and trust in Him, and He revealed Himself to a woman who had five husbands, who is now living with one, who He manifested himself to who became a worshiper. And she became right away an evangelist. (laughs) Hey, come see a man who knows me inside and out and everything about me. This is not the Christ, is it? That's the natural, normal thing we should do when this one who has forgiven all of our sins comes into our life to take over. You talk about what you... Like what you love. And it ought to be in your vocabulary to talk about Jesus. Wisely, of course. We don't hit people over the head with the Bible. But we have to have the truth. And truth is in short supply these days. So Jesus is not only the author of your faith and my faith, he's the finisher of it, and he knows how to help us finish and get to the finish line.
2: Any of you recognize this picture?
1: It's a picture of Amy Carmichael. Amy Carmichael went to India. She was there 55 years without a furlough. And what Amy Carmichael began to do is to rescue young girls who were in brothels from early on ages. And she rescued hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of children. She became an invalid because of a disease that she had. But she, her ministry continues on to this very day. And I didn't bring a book with me, but there's a book written by Elizabeth Elliott, a missionary <clears throat> whose husband was killed by the Aka Indians, stabbed to death, five of them, as they ministered. She wrote a book on Amy Carmichael's life called A Chance to Die. She was asked once by uh, a young woman, What is missionary life like? And she says, Missionary work is a chance. To die. It's a chance to give your life away. It's a chance to lay it down for Jesus' sake. Or as Paul would say in Galatians, I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus, the scars. He's literally saying, When I'm weak, then I'm strong. Five times to the Jews, he received 39 lashes. He had 195 lashes on his body. You would not have recognized that man if he took his shirt off. Jesus only went through that once, Paul, five times. Twice he was beaten with rods. He did it all for Jesus' sake. It's a chance for you and I to die. It's our one life. You only get one crack at life. You're one solitary life. So live it for God's glory. So they were willing to take him into the boat, and as soon as they... Got in the boat, they were home. Are you willing
2: to trust him? He loves to be trusted, our Savior.
1: So as I said, missionary life is just an opportunity to die. And let me remind you, as we close here in just a minute or two, that Jesus is the supreme Sufferer in the world, no one suffered like he does
2: because he was sinless, the perfect one dying for us sinners
1: there's a song <clears throat> that i um uh, it 's a popular song uh well this is for some people called i lay my <coughs> i lay 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 your burden down, lay your burden down, take your weary life, lay your heavy load, and lay your burden down. Lay your burden down, get your feet on solid ground, take your failures to the foot of the cross. Jesus wants you and I to come to him. When you're weary and heavy laden, when you're worn out, come. When you got your praises, come and then give him thanks for, for that. But come to Jesus. There's no one else you can go to. I'm going to preach next Sunday when the disciples, <clears throat> Jesus talks about eating his flesh, drinking his blood. Many of his disciples followed him no more. And he turns and he says, you guys going to fall away too? And Peter says, to whom, whom shall we go? Only you have words of eternal life. There's only one life giver. There's only one forgiver of your sins and transgressions and iniquities. So, what should happen in your life when you come to him is then you start talking about him. Come see a man. Share who Jesus is, friends, with people around you. Come and, and worship like the woman at the well. And come and be still and know that he is God. We live in a nice, quiet, still world, don't we? Nothing whirling around amongst us. Let me share. Friends, without stillness, without some silence, without some solitude, there is little knowing of God. And you and I need to slow down. We're moving too fast. And to take time and to sit at the feet of Jesus. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to pray with my eyes open. You'll never find in the Bible it says, hey, close your eyes, bow your head. No, Jesus lifted up his eyes. So when I drive, I pray, but I always pray with my eyes open. Okay? So I'm going to, I'm going to pray for us all as we take, uh, prepare ourselves for communion here. So, Father, thank you for the privilege of sharing something of your goodness uh, today that you are the forgiver of sins, that you are the only giver of eternal life, that you're the only resurrector of life, and that you are who you say you are, and that you want us to enter into a relationship that's forever and ever. You know us inside and out, and you want us to know you as a friend. Oh, yes, as a king, but as a friend. And so I pray that we would lay our burdens down, that we would come to you when the storms close in and we feel like we're sinking and drowning, that we would cry out uh, to you, our Savior, and soon-coming
2: King.